the one piece of advice I would offer is patience. That there is plenty of time. That your your mark, your ATAR doesn't define you. People will forget about it pretty quickly. You'll probably forget about it pretty quickly. There are so many opportunities. So take the opportunities. Appreciate the opportunities that that affords you. Be patient and back yourself. Experiment. In 1837, Horace Mann created the education system, a system at the time designed to pump out factory workers and professors, the same system that is still being used today in the 21st century. Now, Mann's system is backfiring. We are being molded by the same industrial system that has existed for close to 200 years. That system delivers us into a digital economy that has no need of our outdated skills. This isn't our teachers' fault. This isn't the government's fault. This is due to a rapidly changing world full of technology and unforeseen circumstances. And us Gen Zs are caught in the middle. Welcome to the Driven Young Podcast, the podcast for stressed, overwhelmed young Australians, teaching you practical life skills you can implement now to set yourself up in life. And now your host, Byron Dempsey. Welcome back to the Driven Young Podcast. Today, Duncan Young joins me on the show. Duncan has been working with organizations for the past 17 years as an organizational development consultant, facilitator, and executive coach. He's implemented training programs throughout Asia Pacific and Europe across a broad range of industries and clients from both the private and the public sector. Now, that's a mouthful, but basically, he started out studying arts, then he went into acting, then he went through the corporate world, and now he's running his own business. And I really want you to pay attention to all the different career pathways Duncan tried before he got to where he is now. As you will hear, it is totally okay to switch careers or degrees. It's just human nature to want to switch. In this episode, we discuss leadership for young people. We discuss how a degree doesn't equal a job nowadays and how to improve your chances of landing a job, understanding different personality types, extroverts and introverts, and much, much more. If you get some value out of this episode, it would mean the world to me if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And my favorite parts, as per usual, will be up on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. So keep an eye out there. Otherwise, over to Duncan. Duncan, welcome so much to the podcast. Thanks very much, Bo. Super excited to have you on. And um, I think we've got some really cool topics we're going to be talking about today. Um, But before we dive into kind of leadership, communication, a bunch of stuff that you do running workshops around, um, I'd love to know just a little bit about your story, um, what you did after high school and what you're currently up to. Yeah, so um, so I've got a sort of a, quite a varied educational pathway. So I came out of uh, high school, I'm going to show my age here, late 80s, and uh, spent a year traveling. So, I, you know, I worked, saved up as much money as I could, traveled through Europe in that first year out of high school, came back, did an arts degree at Sydney Uni, mm-hmm. which uh, it's funny, you know, I was talking about that last night with my, with my kids, just with regards to what that meant and what it was about and, mm. you know, what I had intended to do with that and what I ended up doing with that, of course. It, it all changes a lot through that period. Yeah. From, from there, I got, I got uh, so I was at Sydney Uni. I got involved with, uh, with the Sydney Uni Drama Society, did a couple of plays. I, I travelled again in that year after my arts degree did a went to the Edinburgh Festival and did a did a play as part of the uh, the Fringe Festival over there. Mm-hmm. Came back, thought I'd never I'd never really been an actor and never really had that you know aspirations for it. But it kind of got its hooks in me in that year. So I came back. I thought, well, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I thought yeah. I'll I'll um, audition for drama school. So I got into much to my surprise, I got into NIDA. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Spent spent three years there. Then worked. For the best part of fifteen years as a professional actor, 
and kind of in parallel with that, I'd always I'd always uh, taught in, on, on some level. So you know, I tutored throughout uni. I when I was at NIDA, I, I, I there was a there was a, there's a thing called the Open Program, which was kind of a weekend uh, school where you know kids would come along and do drama classes. Mm. So I always taught as part of that. So I was kind of in my blood. I think my mum was a teacher, and uh, and you know I got got sort of drawn into adult education and the world of corporate training. So I kind of got into that world, worked for a, for a business that uh, that, that uh, ran workshops on alternate conflict resolution. I got a whole bunch of kind of accreditations and did mm. a lot of training throughout the years, started my own business about nine years ago, and here we are. Damn, yeah. okay. So yeah. you've, you've done a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so I like the point you kind of spoke about was – I got an arts degree, yeah, and I guess you kind of said, "Are you using that arts degree?" Like, what was that degree like for you? What was your goal with kind of getting that? And I guess you, it sounds like you didn't have a very clear vision. You just kind of went with it. You ended up well, initially, initially, yeah, initially, I did. Now, it's re- and I think it's really interesting when I when I kind of look at younger people coming into the workforce. And as I was saying just before we kicked off, you know, we've done we've done a lot of work through the business. We've done a lot of work mm. with graduates coming into the professional world and just kind of helping them orient themselves with regards to you know what the expectations are how it's how it's different from being perhaps you know um, whether you've been through the university system or, or whatever your pathway into that's been yeah it can be a bit of a shock to people just to kind of get a get a sense of what are the the norms of operating in that environment compared to what they've been used to which is yeah in, and it's a huge wake up because we've gone from kindergarten to primary school to high school to university where it's all structured education and suddenly enter the corporate world or the workforce and it's like like there's no accountability you've got to do the work yeah that's right no yeah. one's going to be like hey did you get your assignment done it's like if you don't get it done you're fired or you're you know you're in trouble like you've got to be self-accountable you've got to be you know a lot more driven and a lot more put in a lot more hours and especially in the corporate world yeah and so there can be a bit of a wake-up call yeah and depending on and depending on what business you're talking about um and obviously there's huge variability with sure, this yeah, but yeah. I, I think you know, a lot of the businesses. So we do a lot of work with the, you know, the professional services firms, the law firms, um, the banks, and and by and large, they become a lot better, I think, at uh, putting in place structures and support mechanisms for for people entering the workforce. Mm. So they have gotten a lot better. It's not so much sink or swim. There's, um, you know, I was, I was running a an induction program. I used to run an induction program for one of the big four banks for for many many years, and their view was that for the for the first two years of of a graduate's life in in the bank, it was kind of there. The, the bank was investing in them to get them up to speed. They weren't really expecting the graduate to provide a whole lot of um, value in terms of what they were contributing back. But so it's kind of like an apprenticeship scheme where they're where they're bringing them along. Showing them the ropes, letting mm. them get a sense of what you know what what that world's all about and what's expected, in order that you know. Now the challenge for them, of course, is that they, they hope that those graduates stick around. Yes, um, because but they'd, they'd be able to do that without the responsibility and of having you know and taking full responsibility of their role because they're still an apprentice, apprentice sort of. Yeah, position. yeah, yeah, and and so the kind of the goal, you know, the the golden rule is you know there's there's never any stupid questions. Just keep asking, yes. keep inquiring, right. keep learning. And, um, you know, and there will be the support provided around that. And that's not to say that it's always ideal because I think those, that, that there, there is always going to be some sort of cutthroat elements and mm. um, moments within, within that environment because they're commercially driven organisations. And, 
you know, if we look at what's happening now, um, and a couple of the, well, at least a couple of the of the big four accounting firms, um, you know, uh, are, are slashing and burning jobs at the moment, and that's just as a consequence of the current situation. Of course, and, yeah, yeah. And they're always going to do that, you know, because they fundamentally they they've got to look after the bottom line. Mm. And so, you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic where. There is this necessity to really look after people, and that's you know that's I, I suppose the um, growing sense of humanity within corporate world, and mm-hmm. and I hope that that's that's um, that's something that continues and grows. But on the flip side of that, these are you know strongly organisations that are strongly driven by a commercial imperative. So yeah. you know there's always going to be that sort of <laughs> balancing. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So. Um, you're, you mentioned you work with a lot of people kind of entering the workforce. And so for someone listening who's in high school or coming out of uni, mm. like what are the struggles you're seeing with young people who are... Because, I mean, we mentioned just before we started, like yeah. degree doesn't equal job anymore. Yeah. Degree used to equal job. I get a degree, I just say I've got this degree, I can get a job 20, 30 years ago. That was kind of how it worked. Mm. Um, but now uni's way more accessible. There's way more people going into uni, which means there's way more competition. And degree doesn't exactly equal job. It'll help, but it's not going to guarantee you a position. So, what are, what are the struggles you're seeing with young people trying to enter the workforce currently? Yeah. So, uh, look. To be honest, I'm I'm probably not highly qualified to talk about the struggles of getting in. What I see, what I, what we see more often is is once they're in, what are some of those challenges, and what's the difference between somebody who thrives in that environment and somebody yeah. who might struggle a little bit more. So, so I, yeah, I, I know a little bit about the the challenges and the 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 difference with regards to how it is now compared to how it was when, when I came out of out of uni. To some degree, I think, you know, even having, back in my day, having done an arts degree... Didn't guarantee you anything. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, because, you know, because I, 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 I went through, I went in with an intention of, because uh, I, I did okay in the HSE, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the middle, and I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll get in, I'll do well enough that I can then transfer, and I thought I'd transfer into a law degree. Right. I needed a grade... Uh, credit average to do that and and I achieved that and but I I went into an arts degree I did I was saying this last night I did I think it was um, history economics and English right and you know two of those three subjects I just I just didn't, wasn't enjoying them at all mm. I'd done three unit economics at high school but got into university and I was just like you know what this is not for me I ended up doing um Spanish, English, and, uh, and so fine just, arts. You just cut them and swapped Yeah, them I just out. cut them and swapped over to something Which is I fine, thought right? I'd enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important people do that because a lot of people will be doing something they feel like they've already committed six months or a year to that section of their degree, and so they're, just, they're kind of scared to cut it. But you just, if you're not enjoying it, you've got to cut it and swap to something that is more enjoyable. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be five years down the line. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was talking to um, – uh, uh, we had friends over last night, actually, and, um, and you know, one of our – our great friend's daughter, who's who finished the HSC last year and is in doing doing nursing at the moment. Yeah, and she was, you know, it's interesting. She was offering a slightly because in again in my day to to transfer from from subject to subject was quite easy easy. But I think there is, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily understand the detail of this. But you know, the way the way universities charge for courses now makes it. I think that that sort of sunk cost. Um, issue is 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 more prevalent now yes. it would seem to me so you've committed to something you've paid for it um so you've kind of got to see it through whereas i, I think maybe we had more flexibility to to move about and the average price of the university has gone up quite a bit as totally. well yeah 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 and it's uh, i mean god i'd hate to come out of 
a degree with the sort of debt that you have now compared mm. to compared to what I had. We were able to work it off pretty easily. Yeah, but, um, and we're I mean we're only still like forty or fifty thousand compared to America, oh, which yeah, is crazy. like hundreds yeah. of thousands. It's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was unimaginable. I know, I know. Yeah, my brother's living over there, and his kids are, are, are just coming out of high school yeah. over there, and it's. Yeah, I think unless you get some sort of scholarship, it's a horrendous proposition. Yeah, because yeah. that's why they got the college fund. Yeah. Like, we don't, college funds don't exist here because mm-hmm. you get it hexed. So we're actually, I think, even though we are coming out of um, uni with like, you know, 40 grand in debt or something, compared to a lot of other places, we're still doing pretty well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah you don't get hit with But that. it's still the pressure of it's like, oh, I've just, technically I've just dedicated a year of my life and $15,000 to this degree. Yeah. Now I don't want to drop out. Because I've, you know, I've committed. What are my parents going to think? What are my friends going to think? But you know, if you end up going that way, and then five years later you're doing a job you don't like, and you could have switched a year ago, and the big difference is you're going to be 21 instead of 22, or you're going to be you're going to be starting 20, you're going to be 20 years old instead of 19 years old, which no one cares about in uni. Yeah, like it's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah, and and look, you know, it's a massive cliche. The whole thing about you know do what makes you happy, but but on some level, like every, every cliche, yeah. it's got it's got an element and a basis of truth in it. And I think, you know, certainly that was my experience. That's what I'm encouraging my kids to 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 take on board and, and mm. really consider in their decision making is is what what do you love doing? What makes you happy? What gives you what what do you have a sense of purpose around? Because if you can tap into that, and it may not be one thing, you know, it may be that you know I started life as an actor and I had you know obviously you know a passion for that, but then my pathway kind of opened up different different doorways presented themselves to me and I found other passions that were connected to fundamentally the the training of that but you know I love what I do and so it rarely feels like doing a job and and I think as a consequence of all of that and this comes back to the question around what what kind of sets people apart when you when I'm looking at at younger people coming into the workforce and you know I might be running a, a workshop and we might I don't know have 30 30 people under the age of 25 in the room I think I can very quickly and quite easily based on the way that people engage with the subject engage mm-hmm. um, with with each other those sort of those social aspect of of work you you get a I think you get a pretty clear and strong sense of of who's going to who's going to do really well right yeah because there's a and this is super I think it's what you're just saying is almost attitude you can kind of see just the way people are presenting themselves, the energy they're giving off, and how interested they are. Because um, it's like a some they call him like the Buddhist billionaire. I don't know if you heard of him. He created the formula for success. Yeah. And it's like attitude times effort times skill. If you've got a good attitude, if you put in lots of effort, and you've got skill around what you're doing, then you should be successful. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. I, I think. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not like a literal formula, but it's like they're the, kind of the three main things. Yeah. And if you're going, like, and I guess for young people out there, if you're going for a job interview, these are almost the three things someone wants to see. They want to see your attitude to how excited are you to work with this company or the job, how much effort are you going to put in, how much time and effort are you going to put in, and what's your skill level around whatever it is. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think one of the things that I would challenge, though, is the idea that, that attitude is something you can necessarily, because you, you, you get this quite a bit, you know, in different, in different organizations where people talk about, you know, attitude and it, it almost becomes kind of, it can become a sense of 
obligation that I've I've got to somehow manifest a, a positive attitude. Sure, and it could be like fake almost. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think then you, then you get a the risk is that you get a whole lot of people operating with a degree of inauthent- inauthenticity. Yes, because you know the 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 whatever it is, the hierarchy or, or leadership is saying we you know we value a good attitude and. So I think that that comes, but attitude comes back to this sense of, of passion and purpose, like f- finding what it is that that I that that gives me a sense of drive. That what is it that I want to achieve? That's you know maybe for myself, but maybe that's for others or for the world. Do you know? And the and then h- how do I pursue that sense of purpose? And how do I do that with passion? And then and then attitude takes Atti- care of itself. Do you know I what I mean? Say, you don't have exactly. to kind of think about when it. it because I'm thinking, I've never had to fake attitude whenever I've gone on a job interview or I've gone for something because I was going for something I really wanted and I was super excited about it. So it just, just came out. And I think, and I'd like to think that people can kind of tell the difference between someone who's kind of faking the attitude because they know that's what they want to see and someone who's just happened naturally. As you mentioned, they've got the passion, they've got the drive. It's something they really love. And so, yeah, it's a really good point to just kind of note because it's becoming so popular that people might be you know, creating levels of inauthenticity. That's the word, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and I, I think, you know, we're talking about the ease or the lack thereof with which people might move around within within the sort of formal tertiary education structures. But I, th- I think one thing that is definitely true is that uh, once you're in the workforce, then moving around from, from profession to profession or career to career is a whole lot easier because... Because I think that, you know, and again, I would take, and maybe because it's, it's, it's a more familiar environment to me because I do so much work with the professional services firms, but, but you t- take someone like PwC or Deloitte, yeah. and, and to your point, they're not, they're not looking necessarily at your formal education unless, you, unless what they're looking for is a very technical area Specific. of expertise. Yeah, yeah. but, um, you know, they're, they're taking a much more holistic view of the person that they're recruiting and do they fit in with what we're trying to do on a much bigger strategic mm. level? Do they have the right kind of qualities and do they have the right aptitude for for a broader sense of what we're trying to achieve rather than those narrower technical skills? Yeah, did you get a HD in whatever mark exactly, or whatever? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so it's... Yeah, and then within an environment like that, you can you know you can move around in all sorts of different directions, which I think is pretty exciting. Yeah, and, um, and it depends on the person. But I personally wouldn't like to be pigeonholed into one one area. So the fact that mm. you're like, you want, and it's good to know that like once you're in, it's you know once you're in, you can kind of shift around because you can leverage. Oh, I worked here for a year, so I've got this experience. You can leverage refer um, people saying, "Oh, Byron's great. He did this." Get in a you know, and just pivot as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Understanding the that it's not your marks that are going to get you the job. There's other external factors, and if we can actually focus on those external factors, and would you say a lot of it is like culture? Like they want to see that you're going to fit into the team culture, and you're going to. Yeah, that, it's an interesting one that because it's there's a real there's a real uh, there's a bit of a paradox in all of that because to some degree. Every organisation is looking to establish a culture that is going to help them fulfil what they're trying to pursue. Because mm. you know, so there's a there's a uh, bloke called Peter Drucker who's like written you know one of the gurus on on strategy, and his his saying is that culture eats strategy for breakfast, which yeah. means you can have a great strategic plan, you can have all of your you know everything lined Mind up, maps and everything. yeah, you can have yeah. all of your resources in place and your budgets worked out, but if you don't have not just the right people but the right 
because that what culture is is the aggregate of who's in your organisation and mm-hmm. what does that result in in terms of the way people think and feel and act and mm-hmm. norms and behaviours and all of those things. So, so unless you've got that right combination of people creating the right culture, you know your strategy might not be worth the paper it's written on. So, so, so yes, you you want to have a clearly defined sense of you know what culture are we trying to create in order that we can achieve the things we want to achieve, right? But the the underside of that is that, you know, that you kind of got to fit in or, you know, um, yes. go elsewhere. I guess you have all the qualifications, you can get the job done, but because you don't align with whatever the team's culture is, you might not get the job. Well, may, maybe, yeah, maybe. But then, then that flies in the face of, of uh, you, you know, the concept of, diversity and diversity of thinking and diversity of style and personality and mm. culture and background so so whilst whilst most organizations are looking for for a, a clearly defined culture that will help them pursue what it is they're pursuing ultimately profit yeah. um, but you know by various means you you, you also um, intellectually, at least, most people will recognise that they want they want diversity. So we want people mm. who think differently. They exactly. want, we want people who are going to challenge the way we do things. Yes. Now, those, those, that that as a concept is one thing. To live and breathe that is is, is a difficult. whole other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of organisations struggle with that. But I think the more what I see is I think you know the 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 younger generation coming through whilst. You know, whilst there is benefit in in understanding the world of corporate and the norms and how things get done, mm. I like the fact that you know I love it when you get a young person who comes in and perhaps from a place of naivety doesn't necessarily maybe they just don't get all of that and they kind of come in. It's a bit of a you know bullet the gate and and but they coming in with a different perspective. Mm. Now you know. I really, I really love that. I really love seeing that. I love somebody who's got a different point of view, particularly when you can back that point of view up with yes, with some intelligent rationale and argument. Um, but you know that 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 doesn't always land well in certain in certain cultures, regardless yeah. of what they're what they might say outwardly. So, I guess especially you know, if you know the in the older generation you've got a bit of an ego. So like, who's this young guy coming in? Think he knows. He knows more than us and that sort of stuff. But you're right, like the world's changing so fast. And I did this like ep- oh, ages ago, I did an episode and we we're talking about generational flow. It was like mm. how the generations actually need to be working together because each of them has strengths and weaknesses. Totally. Obviously, Gen Gen Z, no, Gen X, no, Gen Z, yeah. Gen Z. I think the, I'm Gen X. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gen, Gen Z's the current, um, current generation coming up. Like, yeah. obviously, they're going to be very technologically literate. And I've got, you know, fresh perspective on this sort of stuff. But I think we're quite underdisciplined and have a, lo- a lack of focus and patience when it comes to a lot of things. And so it's just kind of flowing between trying to figure out um, that generational flow. And as you mentioned, if you, someone like you, if we come in with a fresh perspective, that can be really powerful. But then I guess it's like for a young person, I'm trying to put myself in that position. If I came into a company, would I have the guts to go against what they're saying? Because I might, especially in a corporate corporate environment, which can be probably quite cutthroat, would I have the guts to speak out and say, actually, what if we went to this direction instead? Yeah, and and uh, yeah, it's an, it's a really interesting point, and and it comes up a lot. And most of the time, in most organisations that I work with, what the what the, the the that sort of leadership group, and that's probably everyone sort of from middle middle management up. Mm. Most of the time, they would outwardly encourage people to 
sort of challenge and, okay, and speak up and get in. Now, we're all human beings. So whilst, whilst they might encourage that and intellectually they might be up for that, when the moment comes, <laughs> it can create a bit of tension and conflict. And, and one of the things we try and help much more senior people do is, is learn how to embrace that because at all, at all stages of life and of your career, what I've come to believe with incredible passion is that the people who will be most successful and continue to be most successful are the people who have an ability and a willingness and a desire to keep learning. Mm, yes, 100%. I agree with that. Because the world is turning so fast, things are changing so quickly. To think you've ever got it worked out is just you know, risky at best and naive at worst. Yeah. And all of like, I've been in events with a lot of people like, and I'll be in an event where a speak of really big shot speakers up and then he'll come and you know, I've seen him sit back and I say, what's he doing? And he just watches the rest of the speakers. It's like, he's getting paid to give his expertise, but he's still sitting at the back learning from the rest of the speakers. And I was like, okay, wow. Yeah. It's like really good to see that. It's like the most people that I admire and like look up to are continually learning despite how big they are. And so I think, yeah. And as you mentioned, like if you stop learning for five years, you're now so far behind because the world's moving so fast with technology and like, you know, especially now, if you stop learning now and suddenly COVID's hit and you, yeah. you weren't prepared to pivot into technology, online events and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and learn, learning is, is, yeah, absolutely. It's about, it's about how, do I, how do I understand what's happening in the world from a technological point of view, from a, from a political point of mm. view, social point of view, all of those things. But it's also continuing to learn about yourself and understand, you know, what what are my patterns and habits and you know um, heuristics in terms. Before using kind of the psychological framework of the way I think mm. through things, because I, I, even even that requires an ongoing inquiry and curiosity about you know what's what's going on in here for me. Uh, and I think and I think a lot of people who who get to a certain point in their career and have been really successful. So you look at, you know, people who are, I don't know, senior leaders probably on, and obviously, on a good su- wicket. Obviously success is subjective, right? Well, but I guess yeah. people you admire or kind of like look up to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's certainly sort of measurable material um, measures of, of success and and comfort and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. So, so you see... You know, you see some people who have uh, who have attained that and achieved that. And, the lifestyle, yeah, and they're comfortable and content, and uh, uh, you know, hopefully happy. Mm. And and anything that then kind of would come in and disrupt their worldview or you know who they are or the way they think about things is is really uncomfortable. And so there's a there's a typical pattern that wants to reject anything that says maybe you want to kind of look at the way you think about that and shift a perspective or broaden that perspective and and i think that's the challenge for for the most senior of leaders is Mm. to stay curious and to Mm. stay open Open to to ideas open to ideas open to to even a construct of who they are do you know and that being challenged maybe you're not that person that you you've been telling yourself you are Mm. for for 50 years you know maybe there's a different side of you that you haven't discovered yet and and i think if that that's what real growth is. Do you know what I mean? And I think that yeah. that's that's what defines, for me anyway, and and, and my opinions are as subjective as anybody's. Yes. You know? But for me, that's what defines great leadership is because there's a humility in that as well. That I yeah, absolutely. Because you know, the I think uh, that there is a a construct of leadership which is 
you know, about strength and... Um, Front lines. Yeah, resilience and imperviousness. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I, I'd take someone like Brene Brown and all of her work around vulnerability. And yes. to me, it's... Because the flip side of, as she would say, the flip side of vulnerability is courage. And, and so to be open to new experiences... And this, I suppose, coming back to being universally relevant to, to whomever you are at whatever stage of life, being open to new experiences and absorbing everything you can out of that, even when it's uncomfortable, is is the ability to do that, which is fundamentally I'd say especially learning. when it's uncomfortable. Yeah. If it's uncomfortable, you should probably do it. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, and, that's, yeah. and you'll notice that throughout <laughs> life. Like you'll see something, oh, I don't want to do that. I, I don't really want to meet this person or something. Like, or I don't want to speak on stage. You probably should speak on stage. It's probably going to be good for you. It's probably exactly. going to, you know, seek discomfort. Is I think Yes Theory, a YouTube channel. They that's like a whole YouTube channel is about seeking discomfort. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great point. Just being openly minded. To, and I think if you can implement that from a young age, it can be super powerful once you reach thirty, forty, fifty, or whatever. Well, that it is. becomes its own habit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you if you if you start early with this kind of mindset of curiosity and desire to put yourself in those those situations that are mm. going to be slightly uncomfortable you know don't take out, outlandish risks yes <laughs> but, what I'm saying, but you know. yeah but you know what i mean if you if you if you can make that your habit is getting comfortable with discomfort mm. is and that's a you know that's a phrase we often use in our work is is just you know feel it get used to that feeling and because i think over time what what you, you start to kind of reframe that experience as you feel the discomfort and there's almost a, an enjoyment. Yes. I was about to say, that. I've had that a little bit. Yeah. Like I've done some speaking stuff and I was like, just, oh, I was stressing, stressing. The second I got up on the stage, I was excited. I was like, even though I was like stressing, I was excited. And yeah, I think it's really important. And I, I would be curious to know, I know so many people, if they're watching this, this is what they'll be saying. They'll be saying, that's great, but I'm introverted. Yeah, yeah. And introverted people, I don't want to, you know, I, I really struggle to take new risks to kind of meet people, to go out and do that sort of stuff. Would you say um, it's easier for extroverted people to seek discomfort than introverted? Um, or is it just, yeah, know, it's a really good point. I, I, no, no is my short answer. Mm. So I think, you, you know, what we're talking about, obviously, with regards to what creates discomfort are, are often situations where you're putting yourself out there and you're there is some sort of, um, you know, vulnerability that is associated with being in in the public eye now introversion and extroversion if you if we want to get really technical about what that means is is not so much about shyness or gregariousness mm. you know so an extrovert we associate very often with somebody who's out there and, yeah yeah you know, loud confident. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and and that might be a consequence of extroversion but in 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 purest terms extroversion and introversion is about where you where you gain your energy from yeah so extrovert gains energy by being surrounded by people and introverts gain energy by being alone is it as simple as yeah, that in in, in simple in simple yeah, terms yeah. that's that's the way that's the way the best way to understand and everyone it. does a bit of both right well yeah yeah totally like, because i mean we we all you know diff, we need different ways to re-energize ourselves mm. but put it this way some some of the most famous actors and comedians and people of, of, of public life. You would think are extroverted? Yeah, they're, they're introverts. Right. Mm. And so, you know, and I often use this example when I'm, you know, if we're running a workshop is I've got a, you know, an old friend and colleague who's, if you met her, you would say in a heartbeat that she's an extrovert. Mm. But she's not. She's mm. an introvert. So she can, she can do the public performance, but where do you find her after that public performance? You know, it's not out in the crowd mingling with people. 
she, it's back in the green room, you know, having a quiet cup of tea exactly, and, and yeah. just, you know, refocusing. So, mm. um, so I think that there's, you know, the opportunity is there for anyone. I, I, I think some of those personality traits are, are obviously are going to play their part because who we are at a fundamental level is always going to extrapolate into mm. some of those patterns and behaviours. But this this is the point about knowing yourself and coming back to that mm-hmm. as a starting point and saying, well, yeah, I know that about myself and I know that I've got a tendency to want to kind of back away from a situation. But if as long as you have that knowledge and you, as long as you have that self-awareness, you're in a position to be able to make a choice with what you do about that. And and I and I encourage people, anyone, whether you're an extrovert, introvert, whether you're you know whatever, mm. <laughs> is to say, well, okay, so so that there there are some things about me that have been encoded genetically or through my upbringing, and that's a big part, I think, of who we are um, is is our upbringing, so the nature nurture stuff. However, it's come to be that this is the person I am right now. Who else could I be? And that's just it. Ultimately, it's, it comes down to the ch- choices you make about the actions and behaviours you de- you demonstrate, mm. regardless of what's going on inside. You've always got a choice with regards to what you do. Yeah, and I just I feel like, and I hope my message would be in regards to what you said: don't use the fact that you're introverted as an excuse to not be seeking discomfort. Right? I feel like a lot of people will use it as a scapegoat. They'll be like, oh, he's extroverted. That's why he went out and made the, and, and built these connections or he did this. I'm introverted. I just can't. Yeah, and, and on the flip side, absolutely. And on the flip side, I would say that because I think one of the most powerful things to, you know, that anybody might learn if I'm talking about, say, certain skills around communication or interaction, one of the most powerful skills that, that someone might learn is the skill of silence. Right? Yes, so on the flip side to your point, which I agree with, I would also say to an extrovert, don't use the fact that you're an extrovert as an excuse for the ability to not be able to shut up and listen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, because listening is... We all know those type of people. Y- yeah. And it's not fun to be around because all they do is talk about themselves. Yeah. And, and in this moment, I'm wondering, am I being one of those <laughs> <laughs> No, this is an interview, so... <laughs> but, you know, but you know what I mean? Because I think, I think if, if we go back to this idea about... Uh, Learning as being the ability to learn and the desire to learn as being a fundamental criteria for, for your success. Well, what what is the subset of learning? It's curiosity. It's listening. Mm. It's tuning in to what others might have to say rather than and seeking. Being, yeah, rather than being so preoccupied with what it is that you think you've got to say and that other people need to hear from mm. you. I mean, sometimes I'm just like, oh, please, just stop. And listen, listen to a different perspective because mm. it might not be the one you agree with, but there just might be something in it that could expand your worldview and therefore um, help you. And that's what's so frustrating with like you know Trump supporters and stuff in America. It's like no matter how don't much you say started. to them, they just <laughs> they just don't listen. It's like they they can't open their mind up to a, another point of view. Obviously, there's heaps more examples we could go into, but that because I've been doing that a lot lately, I feel like I'm always trying to see the other perspective, and I'll be like you know. We were a Trump supporter, but why are they Trump supporter? Maybe they were brought up with a family where everyone told them this, so it feels like they've been brainwashed into this. Mm. So if I had been brought up with that family, would I be any different? Mm. And so it's like trying to open up and just understand different... Now, obviously, I'm not justifying what they do, but, yeah, it's just kind of opening up, listening to other perspectives, kind of instead of just going my way is the right way, 
understanding you know what other people have to say i think is really important yeah yeah and and i think if if i were to identify one thing that most people struggle with myself included Mm. is that ability because as as i've said a couple of times i think the having having the the intellectual construct in your head is one thing being able to do it is an entirely different thing so so even if you understand on on some level the the concept of non-binary thinking by which i mean you know thinking beyond there's just a right and a wrong right so even if you get that and you go oh yeah no there were always different perspectives and you know yada 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 when push comes to shove and you are expressing a belief that you're very passionate about, maybe a political belief, and somebody mm. challenges that... You're what, thinking you're being attacked. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so it entrenches you even more deeply in your existing very binary position. So, so even though you've got the, the concept in your head, when you're in the heat of the moment, and partly that's a, you know, that's a biological response. Mm. Where, where you get attacked, you put your shields up. That's exactly and you, right. And you just go down and you just go, no, 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 it's like this, this, this. And I, you know, psychologically, if someone comes up to you with high energy at kind of attacking you, you're probably going to put your shields up and go straight back with that energy versus if someone said, have you thought about thinking about it this way? Yeah. And you might actually be, instead of putting your shields up, you might lower them and go, oh, yeah, maybe. There was a... There was a, a really fascinating article, and I, and I took it off my, my Apple News stream, so I, I'm not sure of the source of it right now. I think it was the Atlantic or the Washington Post. Mm. Um, but it was a story about an Afri- African-American guy who uh, I, think he, I think originally he was a reporter and he got assigned to a job and he had to um, talk to someone from the Ku Klux Klan. Really, yeah. Yeah, and it really he's, he's dedicated his life to engaging with the KKK and listening. So and and as a black man, yeah, as a black man, incredibly and, hard to do. Yeah, and <laughs> it's it's fascinating to read because he, with some very senior clan leaders and now, you know, of course his community he, he was saying that people are sort of like gobsmacked by the fact that he could even contemplate doing mm. this and mm. and equally surprised by the fact that the any member of the KKK would, would, allow would them, bring yeah. him in and embrace him. But they did because what they responded to on a very human level is the fact that he's a human being and, of course, he's got his judgments of, of, of their what beliefs. they're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, he's, but he's demonstrating curiosity and he just hangs in there and he goes, well, you know, why? Tell me why. Tell me more about that. Right. So, okay, so how did you come to that belief that, that a person of colour is of lesser intelligence, you know, whatever it is? Mm. And slowly what his story was all about, how by listening he he sort of peels back these layers for the person who's doing the talking of understanding who they are and that a number of a number of people like i think he was quoted like over over some x number of years it was 40 to 60 clan members have have revoked their mm. membership of the clan because there's this kind of spirit of reciprocity that happens that says if you gee you're really interested in what i've got to say and maybe maybe as a consequence of that and the way we start to relate to each other differently and build relationship, maybe I'll start listening to you. Exactly. And, 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 and so that the process of trying to learn from each other 
results in in a much richer understanding than the process of trying to teach, mm. which is that kind of binary, you know, no, so no, no, he, no, 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 had you've he got to listen to me. Yeah, yeah, had he just gone and said, no, don't do this, you're being racist, you're being blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they, they hear that every day. Would have got nowhere very quickly. And same yeah. with Trump supporters. You're being, like, they hear that every day. It, it's obviously not working. <laughs> and so that's why it is a great story. And obviously that's probably one of the most extreme for him to go and listen would have been incredibly difficult. So if you're kind of listening to this going, maybe I should listen to my mates or my teacher or something, it's probably a lot easier. And and I think it's just like listening to this conversation, it's just becoming self-aware, right? Mm. And trying to catch yourself out when you are, I don't know if it's ego. I don't know if you think it's ego because you'll just think you've got a lot of value to give. Um, obviously, this is kind of why I bring on guests to the show because I feel like, you know, who am I to be putting out all this content for young people? That's why I bring on guests on the show because I've got experience and stuff they can provide value for. Yeah. And so that's kind of my my reasoning. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm sure it's all of those things. I and I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm somebody who's deeply fascinated by the dynamics of human interaction, mm. and and that starts with who am I? Who do I think I am? You know. So for me, I kind of I, I like the idea of identity. So how do I see myself? How do I think, how do I want to project myself into the world? How do I, how do I actually project myself into the world? And often there's a big difference between what I think I'm doing and what I'm actually doing and how people are receiving that and who are you and what sort of messages are we sending to each other continuously through all of the, all of the nuance of our tone and our mm. eye contact and our body language. You know, it's a really fascinating dynamic that we create between us when we're in a social situation. So how do we understand what's going on and my part that I'm playing and the part that you're playing and, and, and by understanding that dynamic, um, mould it to, to such a point that we actually can achieve something rather than just arguing with each other. So, mm. And I, you know, if I come back to the work that we do around leadership, then I think people who have an ability to... I was going to say master, but I, I'm not sure if anyone ever masters yes, of it. Course, you know, yeah. right. But it, people who are who are better at it, of understanding that dynamic and what's going of on listening. between us, and, and yeah, yeah, and just understanding and building, you know, building an environment where dialogue can happen, where people are sharing their ideas. Those ideas are being heard, considered, not dismissed, mm. built upon, reshaped. You know, and that's the process of dialogue and. People who can facilitate that, in particularly in groups of people, because more and more what 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 we know is becoming really crucial, always was, but what's becoming more crucial in a in a in a very changing um, landscape of business and life and politics and society, etc., is 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 our ability to function as as a team. Mm. So. Because there's there's so much that needs to get done that needs so many different points of input, teamwork is is more important than it ever was, and so the, I I think it's the role of a leader to understand the dynamics of that team and foster an environment where it can work really well. Part of that is about encouraging people to listen to each other and be safe with and each other. Properly listening, right? Like it's called active listening, right? And I, I feel like I'm I'm quite aware of this as someone who does podcast interviews mm. right and sometimes i'll catch myself doing it i'll be you know someone will say a point and i come up with a question and i'll keep talking for one or two minutes and i've kind of zoned out of what that last one or two minutes was because i want to ask this question and it's like i just didn't actually listen i did technically but i wasn't consuming it and bringing it in because i guess 
I wanted to talk about what I had to say yeah, or something. Yeah. And so I'm always, you know, I, I'm getting a lot better at it, I think. But when I first started out, I, could, I would kind of catch myself doing that. And so it's, it's active, properly listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, welcome to the human race on that one. Because, <laughs> yeah. because we're all, I mean, and our attention spans aren't great. So if we're always tuning in and tuning out. But uh, again, I think it comes back to, do I even know that's happening? Mm. And I think... Becoming self-aware. Exactly. As, 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 even as a starting point, the fact that you're aware that you might be drifting in and out or thinking about what's the next, next great question rather mm. than thinking of what's the content that I'm hearing and how do I, how do I let the next question emerge from yes, what the person Yes, because that's what I me. want. I want that organic, like when we're bouncing back and forth, having a proper conversation, mm. not just me asking you a question, you answering it, next question. You know, that's like, that's not a conversation. That's more of an interview. So like that's more like a, just a one-sided interview. And so, yeah, that's something I'm always, always kind of working on. And in regards to leadership with the team, we kind of mentioned it earlier on in the podcast, you're talking about just having different personalities and traits in that team that kind of merge together. Because um, I know I'm really good at big picture conceptualizations, coming up with ideas. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are good at that. But when it comes to fine detail, actually implementing, I'm really bad at and so it's like <laughs> you and me both yeah and so that's why it's like oh, i want to bring in someone who's good at that and i know people who are good at that and like like engineers and stuff who are deep in math and like that's what they're good at they're good at the nitty-gritty which i'm really bad and so i guess it's creating an environment where you've got different people comp you know men and women different perspectives different ages to kind of create that perfect not that it exists the perfect but like that that uniformed you know workplace yeah, yeah, and and I and by and large I I, I agree with that, and and I, and I certainly know that I uh, I put a high I put a premium on people who can who, you know who can complement who have strengths that complement my uh, yes. weaknesses. The, let's the say. Yin, yin, yang sort yeah, of yeah, 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 because you need that, and and that that in itself requires you to own up to the things that you're you're not so strong at. I, I think if you identify something you're not so strong at, again, that can be something that you might use as an excuse to go, oh, detail's not my thing, so mm. I, won't, I won't pay any attention to it because it's not my thing. Mm. I, I think that's a bit of a cop-out. I yeah, think it's the things sure. that are not your strength because some people, if you're, if, you're, if you're working with people, whether you want to call yourself a leader or whatever, a team member, people, people have needs from each other. And in one moment, if, if my need from you is to you to go into a bit more detail and be a bit more specific with what it is you're trying to explain or what you want me to do, you can't, I don't think you should really be using the, oh, well, I'm not a detail yeah, guy, yeah, no, so no, I'm no. not going to give you that. Because we've got, we've got to understand, and this comes back to your point about listening, I think, which is paying attention to what people need from each other. And because that's often what somebody's really saying to you when they're trying to explain something or, or express, or give you feedback or, or share a point of view. Sometimes the subtext of that, I think, is I'm telling you something I need from you. It might be some sort of validation or reassurance or mm. clarity or um, sense of relationship or connection, whatever it is. We're, we're social creatures and we, we're always appealing to each other for something. So the ability to listen to what what is that need that you're, you're expressing to me and how do I how do I respond to that I think uh, that's what I see really great I would just call it great human beings great communicators yeah, yeah, great what yeah. they do is, is is pick up on those things and it, uh, does it link back I guess I think you're quite well aware of it the, like the Myers-Briggs test that mm. 
which is for people listening, it's basically just a, a test and it's very advanced. We answer like what, 40, 50, a huge amount of questions. You don't put too much thought on it. You just kind of answer which ones come to your, yep. it's like a four multiple choice and stuff. And then it gives you a personality trait or personality type and it tells you, you're, you're, you're more likely to be good at this. You're more likely to be bad at this, blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of teams, I've done it before, will do an exercise where they do like a Myers-Briggs test. And you could do it online. It's free, isn't it? You search Myers-Briggs test. Have you done a lot of work in that sort of space with personalities and I guess? Yeah, yeah. So it's, so, so the MBTI is something that, so I'm, I'm an accredited uh, practitioner at the MBTI. Oh, right, okay. And uh, which is something I, I accreditation I picked up many many years ago, and you know have been through periods where I haven't touched it, and other periods where I've used it quite a lot. And like, it's a theoretical model, um, sure, that was developed a long time ago. It's 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 got as very strong detractors. I think like with any with any bit of theory or or model or framework, it's got things that are helpful and it's got limitations well yeah it can't be perfect it, yeah. it was good though like man when i did it with, yeah, with yeah. a team it was scarily <laughs> accurate yeah, yeah. we were all going around we read our you get like a paragraph the, i think we did tony robbins one or something and we got a paragraph about what this person is like and we were like that's exactly like you yeah it was scarily accurate yeah yeah so so often when people do it and they they read the description of their type. It's it's like oh my god, that, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like somebody's been following me yeah, around. Yeah, and, exactly. And and that's that's useful. I I think the most useful part of these things is it becomes just some. It gives us some language, gives us a bit of a lens to look through for understanding ourselves, and that at a certain stage of life that might be helpful. Uh, but it's to your point about using it in a team environment. What, what these things are really useful for is understanding, well, who, who are you? Mm-hmm. And how do, I, how do I take a view of you that is more appreciative? Because whilst you might have a great eye for detail and that's not really my bag, whilst we can look at that on, on some level and say, well, those, those skill sets really complement each other, they can also create a lot of tension. Because the person that's highly focused on detail can just feel like a bit of a pain in the ass to somebody who's not, right? Yes. Oh, God, you're so pedantic. Yeah, you're always yeah. dragging us down. For you're sure. always kind of stopping progress because you want to ask the, the 50 million questions about all of these little mm. you know, points of detail that don't matter. So, so all, difference can create lots of tension and conflict. And we tend to judge difference really quickly. So you know, somebody, somebody who is detail-oriented to the person who is big picture, you know, in Myers-Briggs term, it might be a, a, a intuitive type versus a sensitive, sensing type, which mm-hmm. is just the language of the MBTI, but let's say big picture detail. The big picture person might be looking at the deep detail-oriented person saying, well, you're just a, um, you're just pedantic or yeah. you're a pain in the bum None or whatever matters. it is. Yeah. That sort of th- oh, and I can and so completely agree with that. So we bring a judgment to that. On the flip side... The, the detail person is looking at the big picture person thinking, well, you're just an airhead. Yeah, yeah. We're head in the clouds. This is going to make us look stupid because we've made exactly. little mistakes and stuff. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, I think the MBTI, w- whatever framework you're using around understanding personality is useful as a way of going, okay, well, maybe, maybe they're not a pain in the bum. Maybe they're just detail-oriented. So it gives you the opportunity to bring language to our interaction yes. that's a bit more and, appreciative. You know, some stuff that you can't really identify about yourself. And a lot of people won't... You know, we mentioned before f- f- owning up to your weaknesses. I think what's also important is owning up to your strengths. 
So a lot of people will want to come across this as humble and stuff, but there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm good at this, I'm bad at this. Yeah. Because we, hopefully you're good at something. Yeah. And to come across with confidence saying, I'm good at big picture, you know, I feel like I am good at big picture conceptualization, coming up with ideas. I'm not good at spelling and all the little details <laughs> and everything that goes into actually making it, you know, perfect and professional. And so it's like once you can, I think it's very important that we own up to that sort of stuff. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, because because otherwise, well, there might be there might be something you're denying to other people mm. in not in not sharing what it is that you are good at because mm. that's your contribution to a group, right? So, the, but the test allows all of that to kind of be on paper. And then we can, because like we read it, you can read it out and then everyone in your team can be like, oh, okay, so that's who you are. That's mm. your personality type. This is what you're after. Now, I'm, instead of feeling attacked because you're always asking for details, I know that's just your personality type and I'm not, not taking it personally. Is that, that's kind of what you're getting to? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so you're doing what you're doing not to, not to have a negative impact on me. You're mm. doing what you're doing because that's kind of the way you're wired. That's why you're hired as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's actually looking to, to the value of what somebody does. And that's what I mean by moving from judgment to appreciation, which is what I think those sorts of frameworks allow us to do mm. is to think, well, okay, that behavior or that ha- pattern or habit that you know kind of is a bit of a trigger for me that I tend to judge negatively actually has its strengths and actually mm. has its value and so therefore I become more appreciative of it. So. Yeah, that's really good. So we're just saying instead of going, oh, it's so, so annoying that he's always after the, he's always coming back to me with all these reviews and stuff. You're going, actually, I appreciate that he's a detail guy because I'm not detail orientated. Yeah. Therefore, we're actually going to get a much better product because we're working together, that sort of thing. Yeah, and then even better if we can get a kind of a reciprocal understanding of who each other is and mm. then then we can kind of work in in sync much better yeah mm. awesome no yeah. i think it sounds been, so simple but it, oh, yeah it's a lot more complicated <laughs> yeah. but this has been a really good chat but uh before we kind of wrap it all up i'd like to ask one like all of my guests this question and it can be completely unrelated to what we've spoken about today but what would your number one piece of advice be for the younger generation kind of coming out of high school coming into the workforce entering uni that sort of age group yeah, and this is one I've thought about quite a bit because oh, I've uh, I've got uh, I've got a daughter who's who's going through the HSC right now, and this is probably poor thing. advice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think the one piece of advice I would offer is patience. That there is plenty of time. That your your mark, your ATAR, doesn't define you. People will forget about it pretty quickly. You'll probably forget about it pretty quickly within a few weeks, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there is there are so many opportunities out there. And we wherever we come from within within Australia, um, you know, certainly certainly there are there are some of those some of us who are who are far more privileged than others. Yeah. But by and large, you know, if you've come through the, t- the secondary education system of Australia, you're, you're in a pretty good position relative. You're ahead of the majority of the world, yeah. yeah. You know, so, so take the opportunities, appreciate the opportunities that that affords you. Be patient and back yourself. Experiment, you know, I think that's the you. other thing. You went from arts to, you know, what, corporate leadership, running workshops, running <laughs> yeah. your own business. No, I was an idiot who didn't know what acting, he wanted to do. Like, yeah, yeah. You, but, I mean, I guess you're just following your passion and, and your passion changes. Yeah. You're just following what excites you at the time and yeah. acting. And I'm sure your acting and presenta- has act- helped with presentation skills or running workshops. Sure, sure. I, I, un- undoubtedly. I mean, for me, for me, and I had this realization when I was at NIDA, I was like, this is 
I'm more interested in what I'm learning about the, the coming back to this point about the dynamics between people because what you what really what the the art of acting is is being able to affect other people and understand how they're affecting you mm. and I and I thought wow this is there are lessons in this that are way beyond acting this is this is life because this is happening all over the place and and how do we how do I apply what I'm learning here in a much broader way mm. and that was a thought I had when I was at NIDA yeah uh, don't get me wrong. If someone offered me a twenty million dollar film, and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd take it. But, um, but you know, aside from that, I think it's 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 coming back to this point of yes, pursue your passion, but but pursue the different ways in which that passion might be satisfied or realized because there's lots of different ways of fulfilling yourself, mm. and and the more you the more you experiment, the better because you'll. And, and ultimately, I think you know, it can come become a combination of of lots of different things. Patience, experiment, all all good advice. So, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, but for anyone interested, if they want to, you know, get in touch with you, find out more, what's the best place to to do that? Yeah, you can. Uh, I'm uh, w- my website is duncanyoung.com.au. Uh, we've got um, you know we run programs. They're actually launching uh, a, a new project that we're calling Talk Club. So, you know, there's only one rule of talk club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll find about talk club. So it, that's, uh, that we're doing a, a, a series of virtual programs and what we're really trying to do, so this is me and my colleague, Tanil Halliday, where we're, we're really passionate about trying to reestablish the art of dialogue, which I think we can tell from the conversation. Yeah. We've, we've and so it. creating online forums where people can talk about things that are really important with a with a kind of a learning mindset so not not a forum where people get to just beat each other up with their opinions mm. but actually to share and learn from one another even when we come from very different perspectives on things so so that's uh that's something that's coming up pretty soon so, and that's just duncanyoung.com.au is the best place to find all your social handles everything's on there yeah yeah, yeah. i'm on i'm not a math i should be better at the social that's right. side of things. that's but, all right we'll just go duncanyoung.com.au <laughs> and i'll put the link in the description but otherwise duncan thank you so much for coming on thanks so much for having me mate. it's been great all right if you are still here Thank you so much for listening to this entire episode. If you got some value out of it, it would mean the world to me if you left a review on iTunes or shared it with your friends or family. Otherwise, I'll be putting up videos of this episode on Instagram and Facebook. So check it out there at Byron Dempsey or at Driven Young Podcast. And I'll see you on the next one.